I greet you in the <clears throat> high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. As the video just reminded you, we are in a sermon series about work, the workplace, vocation. And really that pertains to all of us because all of us have some kind of workplace. Some of you are students, and pretty soon you'll be back in school. And you got homework, that's pretty well full-time. Some of you are part-time workers, some full-time. Some of you are full-time homemakers, and that's more than full-time. And then some of us are retired. But we've got volunteer tasks, so that's our workplace. So all of us are involved in a workplace of some kind or other. Last Sunday, we considered what our work is. The point was made that there are no second-class vocations in the kingdom of God. I recall a man who introduced himself as an ordained plumber, and he was saying that his work gave glory to God. Today, our focus is on how we do our work. The Bible said that, says that there should be something distinctive about the way Christians work. The quality of our work should testify about our faith. Our scriptural text for the morning, Matthew 5 and Colossians chapter 3. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And then St. Paul wrote to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, Whatever you do, Work at it with all your hearts as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <clears throat> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. In one of my former churches, there was a young man who was our chief of security named Reggie Johnson. That's a picture of him on your screen. Reggie was amazing. He did so much more than just security. Even though our church was large, I think Reggie knew almost all the members by name. Sometimes I would tease our clergy and say, if you can't remember some member's name, ask Reggie. Not only did he know their names, he knew the names of their children. And the children loved him. 
Not only that, he knew what cars they drove. And it was not unusual for Reggie to say to someone, uh, check your left rear tire. I think it needs some air. He did so much more than security. He did so much more than his job description called for. Why did he do that? Because Reggie saw his job as more than a job. It was a ministry. A couple of years ago, Reggie phoned me. And he said, Brother Bill, I have started my own company. He said, I, I've started a company to clean business establishments, uh, corporate offices. I said, that's wonderful. How's it going? He said, it's going great. He said, there's only one problem. I'm having trouble hiring people who want to work like I want them to work. And I said, Reggie, I am not the least bit surprised. You see, we Christians are supposed to be different in the workplace, gloriously different. Jesus said you are to be the light of the world. Jesus gave us this challenge. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Notice Jesus did not say, let your light shine so that your boss will see it and give you a raise. He didn't say, let your light shine so that you'll be named the employee of the year. No. Let your light shine so that people can see God working in you and will give praise to your Father who is in heaven. Our jobs should be our Monday morning pulpits. Now, God knows exactly where we are vocationally, and He has a ministry in mind for us wherever we are. How do I know that? Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God has a plan where we are in our workplace. God is counting on us to have an influence for Him in that workplace. But right away, I can anticipate an objection. Somebody within the sound of my voice is thinking, Oh, Brother Bill, maybe that's true for some people, but not for me because I hate my job. I dread going to work most Monday mornings. And I must tell you, if that's your feeling, you are not alone. I got a feeling that the majority of people dread going to work most Monday mornings. But, thankfully, God can change that. But maybe one could be in the wrong job or vocation. And even for those who are okay in the jobs where they are now, surely you can identify with the little six-year-old boy who was asked about how he likes school, and he said, eh, it's okay, but it sure does cut into your playtime. All of us can identify with that. If you do not find fulfillment in your job or vocation, analyze the reasons carefully and prayerfully. Uh, why? Is it because the working conditions are awful? Is it because you lack respect for the management of the company? Is it because you doubt if the company's product or service is worthy of your labor? Or do you have just a basic incompatibility with the job itself? That is, your gifts do not match up with the job description. 
Well, God may be urging you to look around. And goodness knows there's a better job market out there now than any time I can remember. And the average American changes jobs seven times in his or her career. Your Lord wants you to be in a job that will match your gifts and will bring you fulfillment in it. And so if he's calling you to search, search and search prayerfully. What about the rest of us who are not misplaced vocationally? I'm talking about the rest of us who will probably be where we are for a while. How can we glorify God where we are? How can we turn our jobs into Monday morning pulpits? I'm going to offer you four biblical challenges about how we do our jobs. And as I present each one of the four, I want you to rate yourself. Honestly now, uh, you can do it on your bulletin, but give yourself a rating, one to ten. Ten being excellent. Give yourself an honest rating on each of these four categories. Here's the first biblical challenge. All significant tasks should be done to the best of my ability. St. Paul gave this clear command. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. My mother was a great public school teacher. For 35 years, she taught everything from first grade to 12th grade. Now, dealing with her children, her own children at home, she did not supervise our homework usually. However, if we had a major project or paper due, she often asked to see it before it was handed in. My brilliant older sister, Martha, would bring her project or paper to Mama, and invariably Mama would say, Oh, Martha, you did, you did such a good job. I'm so proud of it. But when I brought my project or paper to Mama, Often the reaction was different. Mama would look it over and say, Billy, is that the best you can do? I hated that question. It drove me crazy. And I would usually say, oh, Mama, I guess not. I'll go back and work on it some more. But you see, Mama was teaching me a powerful Christian lesson. When you do any significant task to the best of your ability, it reflects on your Lord. Does it take more time to do the very best? Of course it does. Somebody said the difference between a job and a vocation is about 20 hours a week. King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus, said one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. And the late Pope John Paul was once asked, how many people work at the Vatican? And he said, about half of them. <laughs> so give yourself a rating now concerning significant tasks at work. Do you give it the best of your ability? Give yourself a rating, one to ten, being honest. Here's the second biblical challenge for workers. I should be reliable 
St. Paul wrote, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. In other words, you ought to give the employer a full day's work for a full day's pay. Now we're going through, hopefully, the latter stages of a pandemic now. And so work schedules have been uh, reconfigured in a whole lot of ways. Uh, part-time in the workplace, part-time somewhere else, at home or elsewhere, with the Zoom and the computer and the phone. And in some cases, this has proved to be creative, offering some new opportunities. But it also offers plenty of opportunities for exploitation and misuse. Uh, it's possible to abuse the company policies uh, without ever being noticed. Here's where... A Christian's conscience must be his or her guide. Whether the boss is watching or not, our performance should be a matter of personal integrity. Our expense reports should be honest and accurate to the penny. Our word should be our bond. We Christians should excel in reliability. If there's one word that ought to describe every Christian in the workplace, it's trustworthy. So, give yourself a rating now. How reliable are you in your workplace? One to ten. The third biblical challenge is this. I should be a good team player. Most of us work as part of a team in the workplace. And when the teamwork is good, co-workers look out for each other. And if one is overloaded, Others automatically swing in his or her direction and try to pick up part of the load. And rather than making themselves look good at the expense of another employee, they follow the command of Jesus who said, So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. Teamwork. This challenge has particularly relevance for people here who are in management positions. You know, the Bible tilts toward the poor and the disadvantaged. Uh, the Bible conveys a keen sense of economic justice. For example, in Leviticus chapter 19, employers are instructed not to keep for yourselves the wages of a laborer until morning. In other words, pay him promptly. He's low income. He needs the money now, not next week. Every Christian employer should ask some questions. For example, can even my lowest paid full-time employees live a decent standard of living in the Midlands of South Carolina at this point in time, given the inflation level we are all facing? I mean, let's say I'm in management and I got a big salary. In fact, most of the things I want to buy, I never really even have to ask, what does it cost? I know I can afford it. But if I've got people working for me whose wages from me and my company are such that his family cannot afford the necessities of life, how in the world am I going to rationalize that to God Almighty when I meet him one day? The God who told me to love others as myself. Another question, is my company proactive about 
hiring and training and promoting uh, minority persons and women as part of a team in the workplace. We are commanded to, by God to treat others as we would want to be treated. Just two weeks ago, the towering basketball star of the Boston Celtics, Bill Russell, died at the age of 88. And though he was named most valuable player five different times in the NBA, he, he never was the leading scorer for Boston in a single year. He took immense pride in his ability to enhance the talents of his teammates. He was one of those rare star players who was satisfied to be a role player. Bill Russell said this, the most important measure of how good a game I have played was how much better I made my teammates play. That's the definition of teamwork. So when I remember Bill Russell, it causes me to think, what kind of teammate am I in the workplace? I mean, when another worker is out with an illness, do I automatically move in his or her direction to help cover the load? When a co-worker has a child who's out because of illness and therefore she has to miss work, do I pray for the child? Do I send an email asking her, is there any way I can help? When one of my co-workers has a, a big project, a heavy project, and asks for my help, do I give it willingly? Do I genuinely want all my co-workers to get the best possible annual performance rating? How good a teammate am I in the workplace? Rate yourself now, one to ten. One to ten. And that brings me to the fourth and final biblical challenge about the workplace. In my work, I should witness for my Lord. Now, since most of us spend more time at work than any other place except home, some of our opportunities for sharing the gospel are going to be at work. No, we can't preach sermons at the water cooler, but if our co-workers can see a reflection of Christ in the way we talk, the things we do, sooner or later, they're going to ask us, what motivates you? What, what makes you tick? What keeps you going? Ah, and then you've got an opportunity to witness for your Lord. But there's some, maybe somebody within the sound of my voice right now who's thinking, ah, oh, Brother Bill, I got a problem with that because how can I lead somebody to Christ when I'm not sure of my own commitment? That's a good question. And I've got an answer. Oh, I've got an answer. The time for solving that problem is now, today or tonight. The place is on your knees beside your bed. And all you have to do is say in your own words, Lord, Lord Jesus, I'm just a plain old sinner. And even though I've got my doubts, somehow I'm being led to overrule my doubts and believe that when you died on that cross long ago, my sins were nailed to that cross and you paid the penalty. And therefore you have provided forgiveness and eternal life to me as a gift. And I'm so grateful. 
I'm going to invite the living Christ to be the boss, the leader of my life from this day forward. That's it. It's as simple as that, just in your own words. And the moment you make that commitment, the Holy Spirit will seal that commitment for all eternity and grant you an assurance in your heart that you are an adopted child of God. And then you've got a, a witness to share. Now, the next step is to prepare that witness in writing, statement of faith. And it should not take longer than five minutes to share it because people at work don't have 30 minutes. But under the right conditions, they'll give you five. And so you need to sit down and write it out. And your statement of faith ought to answer three questions. One, how and when did I feel a need for Christ in my life? Two, how and when did I receive and accept the good news about Jesus Christ? And third, what difference is Christ making in my life? Just answer those three questions in writing. Now, you don't need to memorize it, but you need to have those points, key points of your statement of faith clear enough so that at any moment, at any moment, you could share it when the Lord gives you a chance. And let me tell you, if you're ready to share it, the Lord, the Holy Spirit will send somebody by you for it to be shared. Remember this admonition from 1 Peter. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. My old friend, one of my mentors and heroes, Adrian Rogers, used to say, no matter how faithfully you attend church, no matter how generously you give, no matter how beautifully you sing, if you are not endeavoring to bring people to Jesus Christ, you are not right with God. Let me give you an example of how a woman named Jane shone the light of Christ in the workplace. Jane was hired by a company, and the new job she had forced her to, to give up her Bible study group that had meant so much to her because the schedules would not work out. So she took her job at this new company. And after a little while, she got to know the uh, co-workers. And the Spirit led her, I think, to invite some of them to meet her once a week for lunch at a nearby restaurant. And if they did, she would lead them in a Bible study. Well, eight people accepted her invitation. And over the course of the next year or two, several of them received Christ as their Savior and Lord. And years later, one of them came to Jane and said, you'll never know how much the Bible study group meant to me because I was going through a really hard time in my life. And that Bible study group was a lifesaver. Jane just dared to shine the light of Christ in the workplace. And God did all the rest. All right, how are you doing as far as sharing the witness of your Lord in the workplace? Give yourself a grade, 1 to 10, 10 being excellent. Your ultimate boss is never another person.
Let me say that again. Your ultimate boss is never another person. Your big boss is God Almighty. If you can wax a floor well, the shine on that floor gives God glory. Jesus gave us this mandate for the workplace. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Many of you have heard the name Christopher Wren. He was one of the great architects of history. In fact, one of his grandest works was St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And during the years when that great cathedral was being constructed, Christopher Wren would often visit the worksite anonymously, wearing just laborers' clothes. And he would drift around and talk to the various artisans. And one day he was there and he asked an older, an older gentleman was there mixing cement in a mortar box. And Christopher Wren said to him, Sir, uh, what are you doing? And the old gentleman stood up proudly and he said, what am I doing? What am I doing? Let me tell you, sir, I'm building a great cathedral. That's what I'm doing. And brothers and sisters, that's what you and I are doing in the workplace. Every day we have an opportunity to build something beautiful and God-glorifying. So our challenge is to God help us preach powerful Monday morning sermons. And to Him be the glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we confess that we sometimes separate our lives into sacred and secular parts. And our workplaces are usually in the secular part. Too often, we have kept you out of our workplaces and have missed some great opportunities to shine for you. Show us how to turn our workplaces into holy places. Transform our jobs into Monday morning pulpits for the glory of the living Christ. Amen.